Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Well, again, good morning, church. Hope you're all doing well today. Uh, one week until Christmas. That's exciting, right? Uh, I know my kids are excited. Hopefully y'all are too. Um, and uh, we are going to continue on today as we've been doing in our series. As you can see there, the church, the gospel made visible. And again, we've got our eyes fixed on the new year when we, we roll off from being a campus of First Baptist and we, we launch out on our own. We are going to be a brand new church on our own in the new year, and we're going to celebrate that launch on January 30th, and we've been talking about that a lot. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about that, but guess what? we got one more month of me talking about it, all right? So hang in there. Uh, but January 30th, we're fixing our eyes on that. We're hopefully excited about that, looking forward to that, and again, on that date, we're going to start a brand new series. So we're going to be done with this series, and we're going to launch a brand new series going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So I hope you're looking forward to that. But today we're going to continue on in what we've been doing, which is looking at the practical aspects of the church. And today we're going to look at, at one of two things that Jesus asked and commanded the church to practice on a regular basis. So uh, last week we saw one of those things was, was baptism. Uh, we saw a baptism last week, and that is one of those things that Jesus instituted for the church, and he wants us to do that all the time. When somebody puts their faith in Jesus, we want to baptize them as soon as possible. Like That is an, an incredible thing. So that's one of the, theologians use this word ordinance. It's a fancy word for just like something to do, all right? So ordinance, or if you've heard the term sacrament, uh, we have two of those for our church. We have baptism, and we've got the Lord's Supper, communion. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about baptism when we get into the book of Acts. It is front and center in that book, all throughout the book. Uh, so today, I wanted to take just a special moment and focus on the second one of those, the second ordinance that we've been given by Jesus to do on a regular basis, and that's communion. The Lord's Supper. So before we get to that, um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have a terrible memory. Anybody with me on that? Like, I cannot remember anything. And this is why, like, if we have a conversation on Sunday and you ask me something and I'm like, oh, can you please email that to me? I'm telling you that because just know by the time I get home, I'll forget all about that conversation. You're going to be like, hey, did you talk to so-and-so? I'll be like, yeah, I did have a conversation with them. She's like, what y'all talk about? Couldn't tell you. No idea. It's gone. Out of my mind. So if I tell you, email me, just know if you forget to email me, I've already forgotten that I've asked you to email me. I've already forgotten about our conversation. So just know you've got to help your pastor out a little bit. Um, I struggle with memory. And Kendra's always on me. She's like, hey, you got to write stuff down. You got to write stuff down. Um, I say on me. She's encouraging me to help me be a better person. That's, that's the correct way to say it. Um, she's helping me out. And I'm just like, oh, no, I don't need to do that. And sure enough, she's like, did you remember that? No. Did you write it down? Nope, didn't do that either. So just know I, this is a struggle for me. And I had one of these moments this week where I just completely forgot about something. Um, so one night uh, we had to, I had to return something to Walmart, which I don't know if you have to do that, like especially this time of year. It's just like you're, you're battling everybody else in the world. It's the worst time of year to go anywhere, especially Walmart. So, but we had to return something. So I was like, all right, we'll get the kids in bed and I'll, I'll do some things. We'll get the house ready, situated for the next day. And then I'll head out to Walmart while you're putting the baby down. Uh, so I do that and I head out to the Walmart uh, a little bit before eight o'clock. I get there and of course it's a madhouse. So I got to wait in line, got to return. I got to go through that whole process. And while I was there, Kendra's like, hey, we need, we need a replacement thing for that. You're returning. It broke. So that's why I had to return. She's like, we need another one. So go find another one. So I'm like, all right. So I'm looking around the store. I'm going everywhere. I'm going down every single aisle and there's nothing. I mean, the stores are like picked over right now anyways. So again, terrible time to be out trying to shop. So I, I, I go, and I'm like, hey, there, there's nothing here. So I'm texting Kendra. It's like, I don't know, 8.20, 8.30 almost, sometime around then. So I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's nowhere. It's not here. I can't find it. She's like, oh, okay. All right. 
I want you to go to one more store. I was like, okay, I'll go one more store. She's like, check this one place. They should have it. I was like, all right, so I'll head there. And she's like, oh, and by the way, on your way home, she had this awesome idea. Pick up a frosted lemonade from Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you guys have had that, but Chick-fil-A is blessing upon blessing from the Lord already, but that is one of his most anointed creations is the frosted lemonade. It's amazing. You should get one. Not today because they're closed, but tomorrow. Go get one. So I'm like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. All right, so I'm going to hit this other store, and then I'm going to hit Chick-fil-A on my way home. There's one right by our house. It's two minutes down the street from our house, and it's like 8.30, and I'm like, man, they close at 10. I've got plenty of time, because the next store I was going to was like another 15 or so minutes away from where I was. So I was like, all right, I got, I got plenty of time. I got all the time in the world. I got an hour and a half. I can do this. So I get to the other store. Thankfully, that one's not as busy. I go in right away, find what we need. I get it. I get back in my car. It's like 8.50, 8.55. I'm like, oh, man, I got plenty of time plenty of time. So I pull up to getting close to our house. I stop by the Chick-fil-A and I'm rolling in. It's like maybe 9.05, 9.10, just a few minutes after nine. I'm rolling in and it's like, man, the Lord's favor is upon me because there is no cars in the driveway. No cars in the driveway. I'm like, Lord, your goodness and your grace are just showering me upon blessings here. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm pulling in and there's, and y'all gotta know the Chick-fil-A by our house is always packed, like cars out lining out to the street. Like it is always busy. So I'm, I'm going in. I'm like, there's nobody here. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's nobody here. There's not a single soul in the drive-thru and that never happens. And sure enough, as I'm driving around, around the corner of the drive-thru, I see the sign and it says new hours now closing at 9 p.m. I'm like, oh, no. I was so frustrated. And you know what? In that moment when I saw that sign, because we get Chick-fil-A on the regular, so on, when I saw that sign, it triggered a memory of a week before, a couple weeks before, we were picking up dinner, and I was like, oh, there's a new sign there. It says they're closing at 9. That's good to know. I should file that away and remember that. Nope, gone, y'all. I'm telling you, terrible memory for me. It's awful. So uh, sure enough, I was just like disappointment of the night right there. Thankfully, we went the next day and got our frost lemonade. So all was good. But y'all, I, I struggle to remember. It, it's, it's a difficult thing for me. And this is what brings us to communion, because one of the main purposes of communion and why we're told to celebrate it is to help us remember. It's to help us remember. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to where Jesus instituted this act, instituted this thing right before his death in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all good. we got the verses on the screens behind me. We also have Bibles in the back. You can take one of those as our gift for you. Uh, but Luke 22, starting in verse 14, and this is uh, what's often referred to as the Last Supper of Jesus and his disciples. So this takes place on Thursday night. Uh, they're sharing the Passover meal, which is really important. We'll, we'll talk about why that's important important in a little bit, but they're sharing the Passover meal. And right after this is when he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to spend that night in prayer, where he's eventually going to be betrayed by his close friend Judas and arrested and then put to death on Good Friday. So this is just, this is hours before his death, hours before his death on the cross. And like I said, during this, this moment, he's sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And in this moment, in this meal, he's going to start a new meal. He's going to bring about a new tradition, a new practice for his followers. So let's, let's read that together in, in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. It says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
of God. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this is the beginning of of what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And this is a a practice that Christians across the globe for centuries upon centuries have been practicing on a regular basis. And now we, as as the church at Haynes Creek, now, now we, every time we gather, every Sunday we gather, we participate in this very thing. Now, why is that? Why do we do this? Why did Jesus want his disciples, his followers, to do this on a regular basis? Why do we celebrate communion all the time. Why are we supposed to do this? Well, well, three reasons. I want to give you three reasons why we celebrate and practice communion today. See, through communion, we, we, one, we remember the past. Two, we receive strength in the present. And three, we anticipate the future. So that's where we're going today. Through communion, we remember the past. We receive strength in the future. Receive strength in the present, and we anticipate the future. So let's talk about that uh, for the rest of our time here. The first one, remember the past. So through communion, we remember the past. Jesus even says here, do this in remembrance of me. And that's, that's exactly what it means. Do this so that you will remember what I am doing for you. This is one of the primary reasons we practice communion. It's to help us remember. And look, this idea of remembering is a, is a constant command throughout Scripture. You read the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, you constantly see God calling his people to remember. Remember me, remember me, remember me. Even in the Old Testament, when you see something significant happen in the life of, of Abraham or, or Jacob, you see them, God will call them to build an altar. And what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of building that altar? It's so that every time they go past it, every time they see that, they are to remember what God had done. Well, when the Israelites come into the promised land, they, they cross the Jordan on dry ground and God calls them to pick up 12 stones from the riverbed and place them right there by the river Jordan. Now, what's the purpose of that? Just to build some cool object with 12 stones? No, it's so that every time they go by there, they'll remember what God had done for them. So we constantly see this uh, idea of, of remembering God. He, even the, the festivals and the feasts like Passover and the many other ones that you see in scripture, they're all given for a purpose. And one of the main purposes is to help his people remember. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why, why are we called constantly to remember God throughout Scripture? Well, two reasons for that. One, this should be pretty obvious, we're a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people, just like the Israelites. All right, look, if we're being honest with ourselves, being real with ourselves, we forget God and what he has done for us all the time. All, I know I do. I'll speak for my, like, I, I know I do. This is deeply convicting for me. I, I constantly forget and just get complacent and just go throughout life just going by things, just flying by the seat of my pants, not really paying attention and focusing on what the Lord has done for me. I constantly forget. So we are a forgetful people. Remember, I said that, that Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples. Now, what, what's, the, what's the reason for that? I mean, some of y'all probably, if you grew up in church at all, you probably remember the story of Passover. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, where we see uh, the Israelites, they're enslaved to the Egyptians. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years. They're constantly crying out to God to set them free. And finally, God's going to come through. And he, he calls Moses, the shepherd out in the desert. He says, Moses, 
You're going to set my people free. I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world at this time, and say, hey, all that free labor you're getting from the slaves, the Hebrew people, yeah, you're going to let them go. And Moses is like, what? Uh, no, didn't, didn't sign up for that. But that's what God calls him to do. And so Moses goes and says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Not at all. No. Good try. Thanks for asking. But no. And he, he constantly says no. And God finally, what does he do? He brings about the 10 plagues, right? Water turned into blood, frogs, gnats, darkness. I mean, it's just crazy. It is craziness in the land of Egypt during this time. And Pharaoh continues to say no, no, no. And then we come to the 10th plague. What God says is the most terrible one. It's the worst one. And what does he do for the 10th plague? He says, I'm going to take the firstborn son of everybody in the land, of everybody in the land. But he wants to spare his people. He wants to spare the Israelites. So what does he call them to do? On that night that he's sending the angel of death to take the firstborn son of every Egyptian, he calls the Israelites to set up a feast. Each family is going to take a lamb They're going to sacrifice the lamb. They're going to eat the lamb in a specific way. And what they're going to do is they're going to take the lamb's blood and they're going to paint it on their doorpost. They're going to paint that lamb on the doorpost so that when the angel of death comes, it's going to pass over those families. They're going to pass over. They don't need to take death from them because that lamb has died in its place. The blood of the lamb has covered them. And that, that angel that's going to pass over. That's where we get the name Passover for this. And they were to do this every single year. Why? Because God wanted to remind them. And you're like, remind them? How, how could you forget that? How could you forget all the plagues? How could, how could you forget when you finally got set free? You crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. Dry ground. How, why would you need reminders of that? Again, because we are forgetful people. I mean, you, you read the book of Exodus. This happens in, uh, they get set free, they cross over on dry ground. It's like Exodus 14, 15. By the time you get to Exodus 16 and 17, a chapter or two later, what are the people doing? They're complaining. They're complaining. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're like, you know what we should do? We should go back to Egypt. You're like, what? What? You were, you were just complaining about that place, and now you want to go back because you're a little hungry? What are we doing? And then what goes on with the rest of the story? Do they, do they finally just start remembering? No. They come to Mount Sinai, and Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights. And during that time, they're like, you know what? Moses, he's been up there too long. He probably forgot about us. I bet he's just doing whatever he wants to. God's forgotten about us. And what do they do? They make a golden calf. They take their gold. They make a golden calf. And, and they say to this golden calf, this thing that they just created, here is our God who brought us out of Egypt. It's like, what? What? It was, it was just a few days ago you, you left Egypt and walked ground on dry ground, and, and now you're, you're worshiping this thing that you just made? What? What is happening? And then what happens? They, they continue on in this, right? They don't, they don't get it. They continue to forget. They come to the edge of the promised land, and they go through, and they're like, yeah, it's awesome, but these people, they're bigger than us. They're more powerful. We can't do this. And they're like, you know what? You're right. Clearly, God just brought us out here to die, so let's turn around and go back. And what happens then? God punishes them and sends them in the wilderness, the desert, for 40 years. 40 years because they forgot. Because they forgot who their God was. And then that brings us to the the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy, I love Deuteronomy. It is all about remembering. This is Moses standing before a new generation of Israelites, people that, that weren't around 40 years ago when they saw God set them free from Egypt. And he's reminding them, who their God is, who they worship, and what he's done for them. And he's saying, when we go into the promise, and you got to remember this. you got to remember. 
And what does God do? He, he calls him, and you get into the promise, and he's like, I, I've, I've judged all the nations there. I want you to get rid of everybody. They've all been sinning for centuries, and now it's time to hold them accountable, and I'm using my people to bring judgment on them. He says, you've got to wipe out everybody. Do they do that? No. No, they forgot about that. They forgot about that. What about, what about the kings? What about the kings and the judges? I mean, you read the book of Judges, and it is all about forgetting and remembering. You see this, this cycle throughout the book of Judges where the people are like, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good, and then they forget about God. They forget about God, and what happens? A nation comes in, starts to oppress them. you got the Philistines, you got the Gideonites, all these other people. They come in, and, and, and they, they oppress the people, and they're like, oh, oh, now I remember God. God, please save us. And he's like, oh, all right, fine, I'll save you again. Here you go, I save you. And like, oh, praise God, you're awesome. Then what happens? They forget again, and the cycle starts over again. And you got the kings, and doesn't get any better with the kings. We've got some good kings, mostly bad kings, though. Mostly bad kings who forget about God and start worshiping other gods. And what happens? Eventually, the Israelites are taken out of the land. All because they forget. You read the prophets. The prophets' one main job, the prophets' main job is calling the people to remember calling the people to remember. That's all the prophets are doing. You study the prophets, the big prophets, the minor prophets, those guys with hard names to pronounce, they're all doing the same thing. They're all saying, hey, y'all have forgotten about God. You're not living for God, and you need to remember what he told us. You need to remember what he's done for us and repent of your sins and come back to God, or else or else you're going to be judged. He's going to hold you accountable. He told you this was going to happen. You got to remember. You got to remember. That's all they're doing. Does it work? No. Why? Because we are forgetful people. And it's easy to point fingers at the Israelites and go, oh, you know what? If I, if I was in their shoes, if I was there when I walked across dry ground, if I, if I got set free from, from Egypt, man, I, I wouldn't forget that. But think of all the ways that God has come through in our own lives, all the things that we've seen God do firsthand for us, and how often do we forget? We're forgetful people. We forget God's faithfulness, so we have, to, we have to be reminded. We have to be called to remember. And this is what Jesus does with communion. He is instituting a new Passover meal. So that just like when the Jews would, would celebrate Passover, they would remember what God had done for them and setting them free and redeeming them and rescuing them. When we take communion, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember that he has set us free. All right, so that's the first reason we need to remember reminders is because we forget. The second reason we, we need to be called to remember, why God constantly calls us to remember, why we need things like communion, is because when we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it gives us faith for today. When we remember what God has done for us in the past, it gives us faith for today. See, what happens when we forget? What happens when we forget about God and what he's done for us? And, and, and hard times come, and, and life gets difficult as it always does. And we walk through a season of suffering or frustration or disappointment or you name it. What happens when we forget? Well, we start to doubt. We start to doubt. We, we don't have faith. We, we start to doubt. We, we get scared. We start operating out of fear. We stop trusting and relying on God. And because we've stopped relying on God, what happens? We start to rely on ourselves because that's like, you know, the best option we can come up with. It's like, oh, well, you know, this, the God of this universe who created everything and sustains everything by the word of his power, well, he can't handle this, but, but I got this. I got this. Don't worry, y'all. I got this. It's like, what? No. What, what are you doing? It's because we forget. It's because we forget. We start relying on ourselves. We're operating out of fear. And what do we do? We try to control everything. We try to control everything. And that, I, I should put quotes around control because we actually don't ever have any control whatsoever. Thankfully, God does, and we can trust him with that. But we forget about that. 
So we, we're operating out of fear. We're doubting God. We're, we're trying to rely on ourselves. We're trying to take control. And then what do we do? We start manipulating situations or we start scheming to try to get things to work out the way that we want. And this all goes back to forgetting. This all goes back to just be, we forgot about God. And we've bought into this lie that somehow God has just turned his back on us, that, that he's forgotten about us, or that somehow he's just, he just can't handle this situation. Like, well, for whatever reason, we have come up with the one situation that is too big for God to handle. We've, I'll say, I, there are times where I have believed that. I've actually thought those things. And when you say it out loud like that, it's like, that's crazy. Travis, you're crazy. I know. I know, but this is what happens when we forget. This is what happens when we forget. And, but when we remember... When we remember what God has done with the past, it gives us faith for today. All throughout the Bible, you see God being referred to as the God who brought you out of Egypt or, or the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You've seen those words in the Old Testament. What's that doing? It's pointing back to what God has done in the past. It's saying, I know you're walking through a difficult season right now. I know life is hard right now, but remember who your God is. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God who brought you out of Egypt. If he can do that, he can certainly deliver in this situation. He can come through right here, right now. He is not just the God of the past. He is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's who our God is. And we remember what he's done in the past. He gives us strength for today. So find ways to remember. If you gotta be like me and you gotta write stuff down, do what you gotta do. Remember what God has done. I encourage everybody, Keep a journal, and you're like, man, I don't want to write down my feelings. I get it. I don't either. I'm a guy. I don't, I don't you know, feelings, all right? It makes me feel weird. All right, I don't like feelings. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not copying like a, de a dear diary, all right? That's what I'm talking about when I say keep a journal. You can, by all means, go for it. Praise be to the Lord. But what I mean is keep track of what God is doing in your life. Keep track of what you're learning in Scripture. Keep track of, of how God is answering prayers right here, right now. Because months from now, years from now, when you walk through another difficult situation and you start doubting and you start fearing, man, it can just bolster your faith to go back and read it from your own life experience. Man, God has come through time and time again. He will come through again. He can do it again. Remember what God has done in the past and it gives you faith for today. So we are to remember what God has done for us, and communion is that reminder. Communion is this constant reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's a reminder of the gospel. It's a reminder of our salvation. It's a reminder of what Jesus alone has done for us. Every time we take the bread and the cup, we remember what God has done for us. We remember who our God is. This is one of the primary reasons why we do communion. It's why we want to do it every single time we gather, because we are forgetful people. We need these constant reminders. So that's the first reason why we celebrate communion. It's through communion we remember the past. Number two, we receive strength in the present. We receive strength in the present. So communion is more than just remembrance. It's more than just reminding ourselves what God has done for us. It provides us spiritual strength in the here and now. So there, let me give you four spiritual benefits that communion provides. The first one is with communion, we proclaim Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We proclaim Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. This is Paul talking about communion. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Now, that word proclaim is, is an act of declaring something. It's an act of, of worship, and that's exactly what communion is. Every time we take communion, we are declaring through this practice, through talking about it, through explaining about it, we are, we are declaring the gospel. We are declaring the gospel, and through participation in communion, when we take the bread, when we take the cup, it is an act of worship. Just by taking it, we are proclaiming Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel, and that in and of itself is an act of worship. And when we worship Jesus, we worship him, we align our hearts with him. We align our hearts and our love and our affections with Jesus, and that's exactly what communion can and should do for us. Through an act of worship, we are, we are aligning ourselves with God. We are deepening our heart's affections with Him. We are deepening our love for Him. We're deepening our commitment to Him. And how is that? And what should happen when we remember the gospel? When we remember what Jesus has done for us, when we remember that we were lost in our sins and now we're alive in Jesus, that we were on our way to hell and now we get to spend eternity with Him, when we remember that, it should cause us to praise, right? It should cause us to get a little bit excited. And I know we're Baptists, so we can't do that, but it's okay. I'm, I'm giving you permission to do that today. Or we can get a little bit excited when we remember the gospel, right? We remember what Jesus has done for us. It should be an act of worship where we remember, man, Jesus, you are so, so good to us. You are far better to us than we deserve. That's what communion should do. So through it, we, we worship, we proclaim Jesus. The second thing is we have community with Jesus. We have community with Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 16. This is all a section where, where Paul is talking about communion and a bunch of other things. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Now that word participation is the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. Maybe you've heard that term. We're going to hear that a lot when we get to the book of Acts. That, that word koinonia is often translated fellowship or community. So what Paul is saying here, when we participate in communion, we are engaging in community with Jesus. We're pulling up a table. We're pulling up a chair to his table, sharing a meal with Jesus. Every time we take communion, we are participating with Jesus. We are having fellowship, community with Jesus. It's this word that, that points to a, a deep relationship. And that's exactly what happens when we take communion. We are, we are stepping into a, a deep relationship with Jesus. We're communing with him. We're fellowshipping with him. Every time we come to the Lord's table, every time we participate in communion, we, we are having community with Jesus. We're hanging out with Jesus. As the Bible tells us, when we draw near to Jesus, he promises to draw near to us. And what, what spiritual benefits come when we draw close to Jesus, right? Our, our, our faith is deepened. We're refreshed. We're nourished. We're, we're blessed. We're encouraged by Jesus. And this, this is all happening when we come to the tables. When we come and participate in communion, we, we are deepening our relationship with Jesus. We're having that fellowship, that community with our God and Savior. Number three, another present benefit of communion is we have unity with Christ and one another. Look at the next verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17. It says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So what we saw in here is there's one Jesus, there's one bread, there's one body. 
And every time we participate in communion, we are are united with Jesus, and we're united with one another. Just participating in community is this act of unification with us and one another, with us and Jesus. So we're reminded that, that as individuals, we're united with Jesus. Through his death, sacrifice, and resurrection, through faith in him, we're, we're united with him. We're brought together with him. Through his death and resurrection, we're brought together with Jesus. Through faith in him, we're, we're united with Jesus. Communion is a reminder of that. Communion is a participation in that unity. And it's also us being united together as one body in Christ, being brought together as the body of Christ. When we, when we take communion, we participate in communion, we are reminded that I'm not just out here on my own, that I'm not just cast aside on an island to live my spiritual life on my own. No, I am brought into a body. I'm brought into a family. I'm brought in to be part of the one another, part of the community. And communion reminds us of that. And what that should tell us is that there is no room for division at the communion table. There's no room for division. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-31, Paul gives this warning. It says in verse 27 here, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks a judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So what's, what's Paul saying here? He's telling the Corinthians to, to take communion in a, in a worthy manner. Don't do it in an unworthy manner. Well, we don't have time to hang out all in 1 Corinthians 11 here. Uh, but if you, if you read just a few verses above... What Paul warns the Corinthians about is their divisions in the church. This is what 1 Corinthians is a lot about, is Paul dealing with the divisions in the Corinthian church. They're just divided. They're not united to one another. They have broken and fractured relationships. Everybody's doing their own thing, and that there's no difference when they come together for worship and they participate in, in the Lord's table. Paul tells them that uh, when they come together, there's some that are just eating on their own. They're just doing their own thing. They're not waiting on everybody else. It's not this community event. It's not coming together. No, they're just doing their own thing. Some people are even getting drunk off the communion. Why? I mean, can, can you imagine that? Like, if you, if you read 1 Corinthians, some of you are like, yeah, I can't imagine that. But you read 1 Corinthians, I mean, it is a crazy church. It is crazy town up in that place. And Paul is just dealing with issue after issue. And someday we'll, we'll preach through that and it'll be awesome. And we'll see like, oh man, that's a rough place. Please, Lord, don't let us get to that point. Like crazy town up in Corinthians. They're not waiting for people. They're getting drunk when they're supposed to be worshiping. I mean, imagine coming to church, getting drunk on the communion wine. Craziness. So there's no unity here. There's no unity. So when Paul says you need to take communion in a worthy manner, When Paul says you need to examine yourself before you come to the tables, the immediate context, the immediate thing he's referring to is fractured relationships in the church, is division within the church. So we need to ask ourselves before we come to the tables, we need to examine ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, where am I sowing discord and disunity? Where are there fractured relationships that I need to go and seek repair for? Maybe, maybe there, there's, there's a broken relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe it's somebody that, that you've sinned against and you need to go to that person before you come to the tables and you need to apologize and repent and ask for forgiveness. 
Maybe, maybe it's somebody who has harmed you, and they don't even know about it, and now you need to come to them in gentleness and with love and, and confront them on it before you come to the tables. So when Paul says that, that your people are getting sick and they're weak and they're dying from this, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about broken relationships within the church, disunity within the church. This is a big deal. And the reason it's so important is because communion is this picture of unity. And they're celebrating this, this thing that's supposed to have been to be drawing, drawing us together, showing the unity in Christ and with one another, and they're doing it with divisions. So before we come to the tables, according to Paul, we need to do so in a worthy manner. And the first part of doing that is making sure we are unified with one another. If there is any broken relationship, if there is anything that needs to be discussed and worked out, believers, we need to do that before we come to the tables. Let's take care of that first because that matters. That's a big deal. So through communion, we have unity with Christ and unity with one another, and we got, we got to protect that. we got to fight for that unity. Fourth thing, the fourth present reality that we have with communion is we have strength to battle sin. We have strength to battle sin. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again. Uh, we're going to go up a few verses to verses 13 through 14. Maybe some of you all have heard some of these verses. They, they are, are kind of popular. We've probably read them all before if we've grown up in church. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Uh, so this is in, a, in the context where, where Paul starts off this conversation on idol worship all the way back in chapter 8. So chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians kind of kicks this idea off of, uh, of idol worship. And that continues in chapter 10 here. So he's pointing out these different things within the Corinthian church, within the context of the city of Corinth, where there's just tons of idol worship going on, where these people are out there worshiping all their false gods that they used to follow. And even some of the Corinthians who have become Christians are, are being tempted to go back to that way, uh, that back to that lifestyle. And it's no different from us. I mean, we don't worship, you know, these Greek gods and, and Roman gods for the most part. I mean, some people do maybe, but, but I don't really hear about that too often. We, we instead worship the gods of what? We, money, power fame, acceptance, approval, sex, whatever it might be. That's what we worship. Those are the idols that we follow hard after. So it's no different from us. We, we all have idols that we're tempted to, to love more, serve more, follow more than we are Jesus. And what's Paul's recommendation here? He's like, look, you're going to be tempted. You are going to be tempted. It's going to happen, but God is with you in those temptations. He's with you in the temptation. He will give you strength to endure that. And look, here's, here, you want to know what your part is? Run away. Flee from idolatry. So that's Paul's big point here. If he was preaching a sermon, it'd be, hey, the topic is we're going to run away from idolatry. And his first practical application point, the first, hey, you want to know how to do this? You want to know how to flee from idolatry? The first thing you got to do, participate in communion. Participate in communion. It is through communion that we have strength to fight off temptation. Through communion, we, we receive strength to fight against the many idols in this world and in our lives that we tend to chase after. Now, why is that? Why is that? Is there something magic about the bread and, and, and the juice that we take? No, all right? No, and that's probably not surprising because the stuff that we have tastes like styrofoam and stale juice. I get it. I get it. I know. I get it. 
And there's nothing special about that. There's nothing magic in that moment. It's not like, you know, you know, Popeye taking the spinach and then he's all of a sudden really strong. Or like, you know, Captain America, when he got those injections of whatever they gave him, and he's like, oh, I'm a superhero now. No, that's not, like, that's not what's happening with communion, okay? That, that's not what's going on, all right? So why is it? Why does just taking communion, participating in communion, why does that give us strength to fight off temptation? It's because through communion, it gives us this opportunity to reorient our minds and our hearts around Jesus. It gives us this opportunity to examine our hearts and our lives, to ask ourselves the hard questions, where am I out of bounds? Where am I out of line with Jesus? Where am I straying away from Jesus? It gives us this chance to examine ourselves. And then when we see those things, when we see where we strayed, where we've gone off course, it gives us this moment to confess and repent of that. It gives us this chance, through communion, it gives us this chance to get our eyes off of what we have going off, uh, off of our own lives, off of our selfish desires, and back on Jesus. It gives us this chance to preach the gospel to ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves. It gives us this chance to remind us that whatever sin and temptation that we're facing, Christ has already won the victory over that. Colossians 2.15 tells us that, that he's put his enemies to open shame. On the cross, he has triumphed over sin and the devil and all of his schemes. He's already won the victory. We don't have to go that way anymore. We don't have to follow that way anymore. Communion gives us a chance to remember that, to remember that Christ has won the victory and we can walk in his victory. It gives us a chance to remember that, that Jesus, he sees all of my sin. He sees all the ways I've gone off course. He sees all of my failures and yet he loves us anyways. He loves us anyways and he wants us to come back to him. He wants us to come back to him. Communion gives us this, this opportunity to remind ourselves, to remember that Christ gave his life for mine, that he saved me, that he rescued me, he redeemed me, he set me free. And we get to remember and remind ourselves, what has that idol ever done for me? What have the things that I've been chasing after ever done for me? And the little that they might have done for you is nothing compared to Jesus. Pales in comparison to what Christ has done for us. And look, that's how we battle sin every moment of every day. You know, one of the key to walking in holiness, walking in Christ-likeness, it's this. It's reminding ourselves when we're tempted that, man, Christ has won the victory. I don't have to go that way. I don't have to go that way. I don't have to chase after that. Christ loves me with everything. He's already accepted and approved me, and it all because of Jesus has nothing to do with me. It's all because of him. I already have that in Jesus. I don't have to find that in other places. Reminds us that, that God alone has done all of this. And when we have that conversation with ourselves, it's much easier to say, no, not going to do that. I'm going back to Jesus. This is how we battle sin every single moment of every single day. And communion gives us this chance every time we gather to do just that. To preach the gospel to ourselves. To reorient our hearts and our lives with Jesus. So communion helps us remember the past. It gives us strength in the present. And it, 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 it helps us anticipate the future. This is where we'll end today. It helps us anticipate the future. This is the last thing that communion does for us. It helps us look ahead to what's coming. Helps us look ahead 
to what's coming. I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I hate traveling. Anybody here with me on that? I, I like vacation. I like the, the end point, the destination. I like that. The act of getting there, miserable. Don't like it one bit. You can ask Kendra. I'm just like this whitely, uh, uh, tightly wound ball of stress the entire time I'm traveling, whether we're driving, whether we're flying. And I'm not typically like that, but something about traveling just, it, it brings that out of me. And it's just not fun. Now, why do I keep doing it? It's because the destination's awesome, right? It's because the destination is awesome. Whether, you know, vacation, time off, going to the beach, whatever it is, that's awesome. So how do I get through that? I look ahead to the destination, right? I look ahead to what's coming. I know if I can just get through these next few hours of driving or traveling or flying or whatever it is, man, as soon as I get there, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. That's exactly what communion is supposed to do. Because look, sometimes in the here and the now, it can just get difficult. It can bog us down. It can get frustrating and tiring. But when we look ahead to what Jesus promised us, when we look ahead to what's coming with Jesus, our final destination, that, that time with him for all of eternity, it can help us get us through today. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Let's go back to our passage in Luke 22. Luke 22, he says this in verses 16 and 18. He says in verse 16, For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jumping down to verse 18, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is looking ahead in this act of instituting the Lord's Supper. He's looking ahead to what is ultimately coming. He's looking to the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And if you've read any of the New Testament, you might be like, well, hey, Jesus said when he preached that the kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. What do you mean? We still got to wait a little bit more. This is one of those things that, that theologians, they refer to this, this time of in-between uh, of Jesus' death and resurrection and, and the time before he comes again. This is what's often called as the already not yet. Uh, if you're a theological nerd like I am, it, it's, the technical term is inaugurated eschatology. I know, nobody cares about that but me. That's all right. Um, if you want to talk more about that, just know I nerd out on this kind of stuff because I'm weird. Um, but this, this is what's often referred to as the already not yet. See, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has already accomplished a ton. He's already brought the kingdom of God here. He's already defeated sin and the devil. He's already reigning over every aspect of his creation. He's already done that. And yet, there's still some things we're waiting on. We're still waiting on the final consummation, the final end to the kingdom of God. So Jesus has, in one sense, already won the victory. But in another sense, there's more to come. There is more to come. And when he he returns, when he comes back again, he will give sin and the devil its full and final defeat. He he will reign fully over all things for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth, and, and we get to be a part of that. We get to join him with that. So yes, the kingdom of God is here, but there, there's more to come. There's more to come. It is not yet finished. It's not yet complete. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are called to look forward to that day, to fix our eyes on that day, on that coming, on the final victory of Jesus when he will bring everything to its end. And then we will live in in complete perfection with him. There'll, There'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more evil, no more pain. That'll all be gone. And we get to spend eternity with Jesus. And communion is to be a reminder of that. It is to be a reminder of that coming day when the kingdom of God is completed, when the not yet will be here. See, when Jesus does, 
When Jesus does come back and he defeats all of his enemies, the Bible tells us that he's going to throw this huge party, this huge party for all of his followers. And we see this in, in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, starting verse 1, it says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. This is right after Jesus' final victory. He's bringing in his final victory, full defeat of sin and death and the devil. He's inaugurating the new heavens and the new earth, complete perfection on on the earth. And and here's what we see in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the, the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That is the promise that we have coming to us. That is the day that we can look forward to, that we can fix our eyes on this coming day where we will spend eternity with Jesus, where we will dine with Jesus in complete perfection. That's the promise we have. And communion is to help us look forward to that day, to help us anticipate and long for that day. And again, why why do we need to do that? Why do we need to look ahead to what's coming? Because this world is going to pull us in all sorts of different directions. It's going to give us all sorts of empty promises. Hey, come, come follow me. Come live for this, and I'll, I'll give you all of, all of your hopes and your dreams. I'll fulfill every desire of your heart. It's constantly pulling us away from Jesus. But when we fix our eyes on him, when we fix our eyes on the promise of Jesus, the promise of the coming kingdom, then all those promises fade in comparison. All the stuff of this world pales in comparison to Jesus. And again, communion is to be this act of celebration, this act of of joyous worship where we we take a little bit of the bread and the cup today and we look forward to what's coming to us. We look forward to that feast with Jesus in complete perfection. That's what communion is supposed to do. That's why communion is to be this joyous celebratory moment. Not this somber, necessarily just a quiet moment. No, it is to be an act of worship, an act of celebration, looking ahead to what Jesus will do for us and fulfill all of his promises. So through communion, we we remember the past, we receive strength for today, and we look forward to the future. And in this, communion is to be this celebration, this act of worship, a way for us to align our hearts and our lives to Jesus. So church, yes, this is why we do it every Sunday. And you might be thinking, man, it's going to get old soon. It's going to get old soon. And when in those moments where it feels stale, where it feels old, let's remember this. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us, that when we take the bread and we take the cup, we, we remember what he's done for the, us in the past. We receive our strength for today and we look forward to what he's going to do in the future.
And with that, church, I'm going to pray. In a moment, Johnny's going to come back up and, and lead us in a couple more songs, and we're going to do just this. We're we going to participate in communion. So in the words of Paul, let's take a moment, let's examine ourselves. Maybe we need to repent of some sin. Maybe we need to, to, to go to somebody that we've got a broken relationship with. Maybe we need to apologize. Maybe we need to, to ask for somebody to apologize to us for something they've done. Maybe we, we, we need to draw in some, some unity, right? Maybe we need to do that. Let's examine our hearts. Let's examine our lives. And that, as we're ready, as we're prepared, we go to the tables. We've got tables on either side here. You go and you take the bread representing his broken body for us on the cross. We, we take the cup representing his shed blood on our behalf, and we celebrate and we worship our good God and Savior. And look, this is a moment just for believers, because like we said, this is a participation with Jesus. This is a way of, of showing other people and reminding ourselves that we belong to Jesus. So this is a time just for believers. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I, I want to thank you for being here. I love that you're here. I want you to keep coming. But this is a time just for believers. Now for you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're realizing all of these empty promises, all these things you've been chasing after, living for, and you're just living in constant disappointment, constant frustration, I just want you to know that Jesus is the only one who can save you. Jesus is the only one who can rescue and redeem. He's the only one who can give you a hope for today and a future for tomorrow. He's the only one who can do that. And all he says is just, if you want to come to me, all you got to do is put your faith in me. All you got to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm trusting in you for salvation. And if you want to do that, say just a quick little prayer. That's all you got to say. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to save me, and I want to live for you. That's all you got to say. Then come to the tables and celebrate your first communion. Then come let somebody know so we can, we can celebrate with you. Because praise God, that's an awesome thing. Let me pray for us, church, and then we'll step into a time of worship and communion. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, this opportunity to, to worship you. Lord, for this opportunity like we do every Sunday to, to remember what you've done to come to your table in participation and community with you. And Lord, look ahead to that final feast, that final day where you will make all things right, that you will make all things new, that you will make all things perfect and good, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us, Lord, for the many ways that you, you minister to us that you, you guide us, that you lead us, Lord. You, you are so, so good to us, Lord. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, Lord. Let us be constantly reminded of that. Let, us, let our hearts be drawn towards a deeper affection of you in this moment, Lord. We ask all this in your name we pray. Amen.